If you don't know, we're starting a new little mini-series before I'm going to be returning to an exposition of one of the books in the New Testament. I'm not going to tell you which one yet because I'm still not 100% certain, but I'm getting pretty close. But this is important material for us over and over again to saturate ourselves in the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be reading for our scripture reading this morning from Luke chapter 15 in verses 11 through 24, which is otherwise often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Hear the word of the Lord with careful attention. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. May God add the blessing to this, the reading and the hearing of his holy and inspired word. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word today, we pray that you would give us facility and understanding and clarity as we think of what it teaches, what it points to, what it tells us about you and about ourselves. 
And Father, the marvelous depth of your mercy. Father, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to this end, that you will be glorified and your people will be edified. For without you, we can do nothing. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a boy growing up in North Alabama, there was a favorite place we used to go often in the summertime, in my teenage years and younger years even before that. It was a place called Lake Haven. And it was a beautiful place out in the countryside, somewhere near Piedmont, if you know where that is, probably don't. But uh, it's on the way heading over towards Georgia, uh, near the Georgia line there. But this beautiful, beautiful setting in hills and this wonderful spring-fed lake. And there were diving boards and there were paddle boats and canoes and all of that kind of stuff as well as swimming areas roped off and so forth. But that lake was incredibly clear. And if the sun was right, on certain days you could see all the way to the bottom of that lake. You could, as it were, plummet to the very deepest depths of that lake, some 20, 30 feet below. The water was so clear. Well, my friends, that's what Luke 15 does for us spiritually. It sort of is like that. It's a place where you can really begin to see clearly the depth of the mercy found in God. The mercy, the depth of mercy, and that's the title of this little mini-series that we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Today, we're going to be looking specifically and honing in on this whole chapter. And it's very important that we understand there is much here in this chapter. Sometimes we minimize it just to the story that we read. I read to you this morning in our scripture reading. But there's much more there if we're going to understand what Jesus is teaching. But today, we start with that most familiar portion it is actually the third story in that chapter that Jesus tells. And as I said, we commonly refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. But remember, that's only part of the larger story that we're going to see in other installments. And furthermore, it's not only not all of it, it's not even the main point, but it is important in what it teaches. And so today we're going to be looking at the third of Jesus' parables in Luke chapter 15. And it's the longest, and as I said, it's the most famous. It's a story about a family. There are two other stories, we'll get to those. But today, this is the story about a family, a father and an elder son, and a younger son. An older boy and a younger boy. And the story begins, interestingly, and very peculiarly, because this was just unheard of. 
the younger son comes to his father and says, Dad, I want what's mine and I've got coming to me and I want it now. Now, in ancient times, you know that generally the pattern was if you had two sons, the eldest son was going to get the lion's share of the inheritance. Why? In part, because he had more responsibility. And he would therefore be given more. He would get two-thirds. The younger son would get one-third. But still, one-third of an inheritance like this gentleman, the father in this picture, there's a clear indication that this is not just some little mom-and-pop shop. This is a guy who has servants, has all kind of interest in terms of real estate, investments, and things. He has many workers in this almost plantation-like setting in that time. And yet, the son asks for all of his inheritance. So that's the first point that we're going to look at. The request. Listen again to verses 11 and 12 in Luke chapter 15. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And that's, that's pretty bold, isn't it? Pretty brash. The younger son's request was stunning. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Because the inheritance would require, if that to be given, it would require being divided up and distributing the father's assets before he died. Normally, that would take place at his death. Then there would be the apportioning to the sons accordingly. But this son has the audacity. He has the gall to say, I want it and I want it right now. In that culture, for the inheritance to be asked for or grasped after before the father died would basically be a death wish. It was basically saying, oh man, might as well die now. I have no use for you. I don't care about you. I want what is mine now. I wish you were dead. Incredible disrespect is what is depicted here. Now, why would the younger son make such a request? What in the world was going through this boy's mind? I mean, how in the world could he think this is going to end well? Well, basically, the same reason human beings all over the planet do stupid things and show impatience and act selfishly out of fear and insecurity. He's looking for money to get control of his life. He wants to be the king. He wants to be on the throne. He wants to have it his way. And money, his inheritance, is one way that he thinks he can accomplish that. But unfortunately, 
The thing he loved was not his father. It was his father's things. He didn't love his dad. He loved what dad could give him. His heart was set on wealth and on the comfort and the freedom and the status that wealth brings. His father, his old man, was just a means to an end. That's what he was. He was basically saying, I want yours, Dad, not you. Now, before we get too self-righteous and and just think, how could this knucklehead do that? What, What kind of stupidity has this guy been drinking? If we're really honest, don't we sometimes view God that way? Ourselves? Don't we see God as being there to be a means to our ends? That we want God to deliver what we want? After all, God, that's your job. Now, we don't ever say that outright and that overtly and that in your face. But I tell you, it's in my heart. Sometimes I act as if I'm thinking it's God's job to supply what I need, want, etc. Before we're too hard on the boy, we need to look into our own hearts a little deeper. Now, that's the request. Here's the amazing response in 12b. Look, here's how the father responds. And he divided his property between them. What? Dad, are you kidding? It, it's, it's bad enough that this fool asked for this, but you're going to acquiesce to it? You're going to give it to him? Knowing what you know, knowing with this attitude, know the dis, knowing the disrespect, seems to be so. The younger son's request to the father would have absolutely shocked Jesus' listeners in that day. But what more, in some ways, is more shocking is the response of the father. He says, okay, here we go. See you. I see how one, you know, one for you, one for two for you, one. No, no. <laughs> didn't do it that way uh, back in then. This was a lot more involved than that. But this kind of contempt and insolence would have ordinarily met with outrage. It would have got this son tossed out on his ear or worse, maybe stoned for his insolence. And yet the father acquiesces instead we read those simple words he divided it his property between them now you know to do that in those days as i said it wasn't like pulling out your checkbook or your wallet and just hand them a few bills we're talking about an estate here with great wealth and great different parts that would be affected by pulling a third of that out 
Their family land was part of their very identity. And in those days, wealth was in their land and their property. It's likely that the father had to sell some of it, a good portion of his estate, in order to be able to be liquid enough to accomplish what his son requested and what he decided to grant. And you know what the probable consequence of that was? Put a lot of people out of work. Put a lot of other families and workers that had worked in the the estate likely in great jeopardy. It was costly for him to do this. It brought great pain, no doubt, and loss to the father. But instead of paying the son back by inflicting pain on him, the father kept the door open in the relationship. He kept the door open in the relationship in hopes that one day, one day there might be reconciliation. You know what? We'd be wise to do the same when it comes to our own wayward children. Some of us have had to do that. Very painful, very hard to do. But keeping that door open, I can't tell you how many times I'm working with young adults through the years and having kids, you know, kind of ready to want to just turn back and slam the door and leave the, leave the family home behind, trying to both warn them and warn the parents. <laughs> Don't make categorical things. Don't make it where there's not a possibility to return. Oh, yes, there might be right ways and things that have to be done, but don't let that door go completely closed. They may yet come back. And some of us live in hope for that. Some of us have seen it happen if we keep the door open. And the Father did here. Now, the third thing is the plan. Look at verses 17 through 19. Here's the plan. This is, this is really, really insightful into the heart again of what we are as sinners. We're made in the image of God, but we're fallen. We're broken. And it shows how messed up the gyroscope is. Verses 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. And here comes the plan. I will arise (coughs) and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your Hired servants. Now, the younger son finally kind of gets it, in some sense at least. He finds out, goes off in his quest, first of all, to find life at the end of a bottle and a few other sordid places. Squanders his inheritance. And he ends up with only pigs for friends. 
But finally, he's like, okay, I'm not that stupid. I get this. This is a dead end. What do I do now? So he goes to work hatching a plan. I got a new plan. Now that his rope is broken, he comes to his senses in some sense. Now, is that really, truly, full-blown, true, heartfelt repentance? Or is that more of a, you know, I've got myself in a mess. I've got to figure out how to get myself out of this. Could be some aspects of both. But one thing I can assure you it is, it clearly has the marks of a plan, of a scheme to get back into a better situation. And again, his efforts are all at the heart of it. He asks particularly in this plan for his father to make him a hired servant because they would have what be get paid wages in which they would then have money to pay. So he's, he's thinking through this. He's not just saying, Father, have mercy on me. Do whatever you want. He's saying, make me a hired servant so I can. He's got a plan. He's working that plan. And so, after rehearsing his speech, he sets out for home to go hatch his plan at the right time with Dad. He, I'm not sure he's wondering when is that. And off he goes through the long journey home. And yet... What I want you to see is that when we often are in trouble, once again, our natural influence is to try to negotiate. To negotiate with God. We want to cut a deal. We want to make God an offer. Lord, I'll do this if you'll do that. That's basically what is going on here. He's got a plan of how to fix this situation. He's going to need the father's involvement, of course, but he's the one trying to find a way to negotiate, to get back from where he's fallen. And that reveals something, again, of the nature of our fallen hearts. We tend to understand negotiated relationships. We get it. When someone says, okay, if you will do this, I will do that. And if I do that, you promise to do this. We understand that. That seems like fair. It's the American way. It's just the way people are. But to understand mercy and grace, this guy doesn't yet get it. He's going back to try to find a way to get back in the good graces of his father. There may be some indeed remorse for what he's done, but he's still negotiating. And it's so much a part. Have you ever committed a great sin that you are very aware of? You know you've really messed up, and then you go back to confess it to God. Just watch how many times you start negotiating. Well, Lord... I know I was wrong, and, I, and I'm really sorry. And I did, but but if you if you fix it, if you get me out of it, I promise I'll do this, 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 this. It's negotiation. That's not throwing yourself upon the sheer mercy of God. It tells us something about ourselves. Now, there's the fourth thing in this text, and this is the amazing, amazing thing. Despite this. 
The party is depicted in verses 20 through 24. The party, listen again. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, (coughs) his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, he's starting his script. He's saying the right things, but he's starting his spiel. He, God cuts him. The father cuts him off. He doesn't get to finish the rest of the plan. He says, but, verse 22 The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Wow, what a picture. What a scene of grace and mercy. (laughs) The final scene unfolds within sight of home. (laughs) And the boy is still working over, going through his head, how he's going to do this and under what circumstance, how he's going to get this just nuanced right. (laughs) And all of a sudden he looks up and (laughs) looks like, looks like the Tasmanian devil coming down uh, the dirt road there and, and, you know, just somebody flying, coming at him breakneck speed. He can't believe it. Now, what the fool is that? Wait a minute. You're kidding me. It almost looks like my dad. I couldn't be. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be doing, oh, well, maybe it is him. Maybe he's coming here now to, maybe he's not going to let me get home. He's going to beat me within an inch of my life right here. Who knows what he thought? But, of course, his father comes and just falls all over him, starts kissing on him and hugging on him. It's party time. The robe, the ring, the fatted calf, the father commands to be brought and to be given to his son. Now, you know, one question is, again, and I've, I've, I've told this story many times in, in explorers' classes, but why was the father running? Why was he running? Well, we really don't know. You know, again, you can't get all details from a parable. But it is interesting to wonder why was he running? Well, could he just, was he so excited about his, yeah, it could have been that. Maybe it's just pure excitement and love uh, that his son was back or on the way back. But it also could have been he was trying to get to his son before some of the other town folks that had had the suffered the implications of his selfishness in taking a third of the estate away. Who knows? And back then they would have they would have seen his disrespect. That kid may not ever have made it home. We don't know for sure. But maybe he was there providing protection. But whether that is true or not. Again, that's speculation. What we do know for certain is that in running to his son, he did something. He shamed himself. He shamed himself by running. You know, in that culture, 
Again, long robes, they didn't pull up. You didn't wear jogging shorts. You didn't pull your, your coat. That was not for wealthy estate owners to do. That was not for them. They did not act that way. It was not dignified. And yet this is like a boy, young boy, running gleefully through the, through the hillside. And it caused, it would have been disgraceful. And what you need to realize here is that the Lord has done for us what the father did in the parable. What did the father do in the parable? To get to his son, he caused and brought shame. For God to reach us in salvation and sending Jesus, he had to do the same. Jesus Christ became an offense He was put to shame for us. John Bunyan long ago said it this way, blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. Talking about Jesus on the cross. It was a shameful thing that God would be nailed to a cross the way he was and that it took to get to us. What depth of mercy. When God came into this world, we would have expected him to come how? In judgment and wrath. If you read your Bible and there was every reason for him to do so. But instead, in Christ, he comes into the world not to bring judgment, but to bear our judgment. John 3, 16 and 17 says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through through him that is amazing grace that is the depth of mercy that you and I will never fully comprehend but God did that in showing his great mercy to sinners for all the beauty of this story And it is a well-loved and beautiful story. Never can grow tired of it. We shouldn't be able to. But it's not the end of the story. There's another son. And we'll look at that next week. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we cannot begin to sound the depths as the old hymn says, of such love divine. And can it be that we should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Lord, what depth of mercy can it be? Lord, we ask you now to once again overwhelm us Come running to us by your grace and by your mercy. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Embrace us and kiss us with the songs of salvation and deliverance freely and freshly again so that we will never forget the depth of your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.